Welcome in, everyone. This is the Heisman Park Rangers. I am Ryan Chapman alongside the Hall of Famer, Randy Heights. Give us a follow. I am at Radio's Ryan on Twitter. And Randy, you are at RJ Heights 1077, I believe. That's right, on Twitter as well. Beautiful, beautiful. So I believe I have the same thing on Instagram, but I don't do a lot on Instagram. Yeah, I'm at. Like, I'm at Radio's Ryan there. This next week, I've got a wedding. So that's like, you know, surefire Instagram post. And then it's just, you know, I wander off into a field for, right. you know, a year. Like, totally I, I need to get better at that. But all right. So this is our post-game podcast series for Oklahoma Sooners football. And Randy, oh boy, what a game to start on. It is an all-time collapse from the Sooners. Kansas State comes in. We had talked in our preview pod in ifs and maybes because we didn't even know if this game was going to happen. Kansas state was teetering on that threshold all week long of not being able to play due to COVID restrictions. Uh, They arrived in Norman and played probably the best 17 and a half minutes of football that we've seen in the country this year. And it led to the Sooners dropping at 38, 35. You know, and it was one of those interesting games you you sat there and I thought there were some things we learned out of this this game and this is it because again we we talked going into it about Missouri State not offering much of a challenge which I think that was proven out but I think what we saw is in some positions this team's veteran in some positions and they're young in other positions and I think in the COVID era teams that are going to be really veteran laden are the ones that are going to have the most success and what I mean by that is I think we saw in the first half Oklahoma came out and they dominated the game offensively they dominated it defensively and what it reminded me of was in the first half looked a lot a lot like in some ways the Missouri State game maybe not manhandling them quite as much as they did against Missouri State but OU came out and did what they were supposed to do second half comes in Oklahoma you know they're still playing pretty well but don't score on every possession you know kind of have some issues back and forth on the field and then Kansas State gets a score gets a turnover And it's like, OU, and this is where I feel like they were a little young and showed some of their youth, they expected Kansas State to kind of do what Missouri State did. Oh, we're up big at halftime. We're big, bad Oklahoma. We punched them in the face. They're done. But when Kansas State kind of got up off the mat and punched back, it was almost like OU was like, hey, uh, what are you doing? Game's over. We've already packed our bags and, you know, we're, we're back in the dorms already. That's what it reminded me of when it was like, with every moment, Kansas State grew confidence, whereas Oklahoma was almost trying to look at themselves and go, what are we still playing for? Isn't this game over? It was over at half. We were up 21. And that's yeah. what it reminded me of, of a young team in that instance. This has been puzzling to me because I felt that throughout the entire Lincoln-Riley tenure as the head coach, the Sooners have struggled to play complimentary football. Mm-hmm. The offense will be firing. And then it's almost like even when Mike Stoops was still the defensive coordinator, you would get two, three great series out of the defense. And the offense yeah. would go and basically, for lack of a better term, they'd shit the bed on the other end of the field. They would, you know, three and out, turnover, something weird like that. And Lincoln Riley teams have struggled to just finish off games and put them away. Now, a lot of that early on, I think, was just Mike Stoops' defense being awful and Alex Grinch is trying to turn that around. But we saw here in the second half, it's crazy, Randy. Kansas State had either 97 or 98 total yards of offense in the first half. Right. They finished with 400. And I went through and I counted. And in that second half, it was 
baffling that it's the same problem that the Mike Stoops defense had in his final year until Texas. It seemed like they had improved enough to be death by a million paper cuts. And then they would just fall victim to the one huge play here. It was basically a simple slant that Deuce Vaughn broke off, ran about 50 yards. It was the busted coverage by Brian Mead for a 70 yard uh, pass. Um, oh, Deuce we can Vaughn get into again, that in a minute. Not to interrupt your stats. We'll get into that in a minute, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then Deuce Vaughn again, a very simple, like, yeah, nice little passing play there. Three hats around the ball should have been probably a first down, not much more. He spins out of all three of those tackles and gets an extra 20 yards. It's it's very frustrating to watch because ostensibly, other than the, the just busted coverage with Brian Mead, which, like you said, I do want to get into that um, a little bit more. It, it's like one or two mental lapses. And I guess this keeps happening from the OU defense. And, and Randy, I kind of get your take on this because – I think it comes down to two things. One, they have not built that depth yet that they Mm -hmm. need to. And in these bigger games, we've heard Alex Grinch basically say he wants to have a 22. If they play 80 snaps, he wants each, you know, platoon basically to play half those snaps. So that, you know, that makes sense. You're a hundred percent all the time. Cool. And so I think that because of, they don't have that depth, they wear down and make these mental mistakes, but then they also don't have the leadership on that side of the ball to just shake it off because this was a a collapse because of it all just snowballing together. And and on Saturday, it happened on both sides of the football. Once things kind of went South at the end of the third quarter. No, no doubt. And and I think you're right. I think depth's part of it, but that's where I go back to the offensive side of the ball almost as much as the defense at times, because they kept turning the ball over, whether it's Rattler throwing interceptions, a Seth McGowan fumble, block punt you know and you got a defense you mentioned it they're still rebuilding let let's not forget Alex Grinchin is his second year as a defensive coordinator and I feel like he's done a great job with the players and he's inherited he's recruiting guys to fit the system he wants to play he doesn't have those big linemen Perrion Winfrey is one of the first big guys he's got I mean it would have been really interesting if Neville Gallimore would have had one more year and you get a guy like Winfrey in there, what maybe they could start doing. But, you know, you've got some young linebackers in there. you got some guys that have got experience in the secondary, but they don't have a ton of depth and they don't have the size he wants. And I think you saw some of that exposed because even they, when they were playing well early in the second half, Kansas State started getting some of those, like you say, death by a million paper cuts. Well, when all of a sudden they're holding the ball, maybe even if they're not scoring, you know, like two and a half minutes for a drive, punting two and a half minutes for a drive punting well that's five minutes right there and then all of a sudden look Seth McGowan fumbles oh that defense has already been on for five minutes here goes another five minutes you know because now they're going right. to do two and a half minutes and then have the big play and that's where you saw the depth become a factor yesterday but what amazed me about all this and when I talk about the defense and I'm not going to rip a kid uh, what I'm going to rip this is where because I get that you want to have a two deep and if you play 80 plays and you want to have you know, 40 plays for all 11, for, you know, each set of 11. Right. I feel bad for me for this reason. He's a kid at this level, at that stage of the game, is is outclassed, you know, right. and that's not ripping him. So that's where I almost look at the coach and go, why are you doing this to this kid? Because all you could hear after the game is, why is he even the kid? Why does he ever play? That's not Meade's fault. Meade's out there doing what he's supposed to do in the sense that he's on the field, coaches told him to play it. 
And I guess what astonished me, and I don't know if it's something in the defensive alignment, I don't care if that guy coming out of the backfield that split wide, that's where you use a timeout. How do you not see that Brian Mead now is all of a sudden matched up with a guy on the outside that he doesn't have speed to keep up with coming out of the backfield, much less now lined up at wide receiver? That's where I was just shaking my head going, okay, this is when you as the defensive coordinator and Lincoln Riley go, timeout, timeout. You burn that right. timeout right there because you're still up big. You don't need that timeout. Stop them from gaining momentum. Yeah, that, that's, and, that's kind of what got me. And I think that you then – you talk about that. It's a guy that isn't on the field a ton because um, for whatever you know reason, practice, we don't know who's in and out of practice, but right. it was very, very depleted against Missouri State and losing the other two non-conference games. You're just not going to get the same number of reps that you would like everyone to have right now. And I think it's no coincidence that it was a mental mistake. It was a coverage mm-hmm. bust. And then like you said, once the coverage was busted, then he basically got outrun, outclassed, you know, the level of athlete. That That's fine. But at the root, it was a coverage bust, a huge play. And, yeah. and that's really what killed the Sooners. Because if you take away two of those big chunk plays, yeah, pick any two. You take away two of them and make them methodically drive. You make Kansas State drive down the field. I think they don't have enough time to win the game. You know what uh, I mean? Exactly. But with, but. But when you have a methodical, slow, um, you know, paced offense like Kansas State and you gift them basically 60-yard gain, 70-yard gain on, on a, you know, easy just coverage bus, easiest pass Skyler Thompson will throw all season, that that's really what just gets you beat. And it, it continues to happen, and I just feel like it, it has to boil down to, at this point, depth. Because I I really find it hard to believe that this exact same defense who was put in the same positions in the first half after the batted interception on OU's first drive, turn around Ooh. three and out. And then Spencer yeah. Rattler's very poor decision trying to force a ball to Mems. Turn out, I believe it was a three and out after the second interception too. Obviously, this is a defense that can turn around and put the clamps on, but you get into the second half and all of a sudden the turnover happens and the score then happens within the next three plays. And that's those are those momentum killers that even if they get points off, if you can hold them to a field goal, you kind of escape with a little bit of something. And then you basically put the entire game on the arm of a redshirt freshman. Well, and exactly. And so I'll go a couple of things here. And this is where we can jump into the offense and defense. I'm going to stay back on the defense. One thing I didn't get and what I didn't understand because of the depth. And I'm with you, Ryan. I totally get the depth situation. But later in that half, before Kansas State got the lead, before they even cut it to seven, you see your defensive line is gassed. They're no longer right. getting that push that they got in the first half. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm going, I get it. They're tired. This team doesn't have what they want yet at the defensive side of the ball. So I get it. They're trying their hardest. But then what I didn't get, Oklahoma needs a stop after being down. They punt the ball away. They need a stop because they need to get the ball back. Ryan, they blitz two consecutive plays. And what happens? They get home on those blitzes. Okay, when your defensive line is exhausted, why why are you not going in, forcing things? And yeah, granted, blitzes sometimes give up the big play, but you're not getting the pressure on a Skylar Thompson who's an average quarterback at best. If you make him run around in the pocket, you know what? Maybe he doesn't complete some of those balls. So it might be worth blitzing a little more. And I don't mean every play, but that's what I guess I didn't get on some of those third and long situations you know, where they weren't really trying to force the issue. I I get there's something to setting back defensively at times, 
But then there's something to maybe, hey, our offense is giving the momentum back to Kansas State. Let's try a couple of things, see if we can't get the momentum back to our direction, you know, with a big sack or, you know, an Osimo getting through on the blitz and knocking the ball loose, just something right. to try to switch momentum the other way. So I was a little frustrated on those two plays when I'm going, dude, you're out of time and now you're blitzing. Yeah. Why? And- and that, I think, kind of harkens back to I, I was on you know Twitter seeing everyone making the comparisons that the Mike Stoops defense is back, things like yeah. that. In the stadium, the murmurs going around. You can hear the groans. You can feel the nervous tension despite the fact that there were only 20,000 people in, in the building. And, and that was always my frustration watching the Mike Stoops defense of you're going to drop into umbrella coverage and you know that your players are not good enough to cover for four, five, six seconds. So why would you not say, screw it, if we're getting gashed anyway, why don't we bring a blitz and try to force a turnover, like you're saying? And, right. and I feel like, you know, Oklahoma did such a good job of that in the first half. I Now I get Kansas State made a good adjustment. They basically said, hey, we're getting just eaten alive here. The offensive line played better in the second half, but they were aided by the fact that Kansas State said, we're going to move to basically just the short, quick passing game. Skylar Thompson, you are a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback when you play against Oklahoma. Remember that. And uh, you can just get the ball out quick, get it to Deuce Vaughn, who no one can tackle, and you know let him run around, take the hits for you. So like that was a good adjustment, but that that should have been intuitive. Like everyone should know, hey, we're hitting home a lot in the first half. They're probably going to try to get the ball out faster. I just don't understand where the disconnect is. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's very interesting. And I can jump to the other side of the ball. As much as everyone wants to rail on the defense, I give some blame in this game as well to the other side of the ball. I mean, and I'm not ripping Spencer out, but I think what's amazing, I've seen a lot of idiots. And I get to where I really, as an OU alum, I hate Oklahoma fans to a degree, a lot of them. And I'm not going to, because they're idiots. Not the ones that listen to this podcast. They're they're fucking morons at times. I mean, because (laughs) when you look at them, they're out here ripping a freshman kid. To me, Spencer Rattler, what happened to him yesterday was no different than that really great rookie quarterback that gets in the NFL, has done a lot of stuff throughout his career in high school and college, and then gets to that next level, the NFL. His line gives up a couple of sacks, and he gets hit in the face. And he's like, oh, wait, that's not supposed to happen to me. I never get touched. And he got hit a couple of times. And then what didn't help, that offensive line kept letting him get through to get hit. So he could never have that time to breathe and go, all right, I know what's coming. I'm not afraid to get hit, but now I know it's coming. He never had that time to think again. So he did make some bad plays. But when you look at his overall numbers, they were pretty good. You know, he did pretty good. I mean, one of his three interceptions was a batted ball, not on him, you know, and then the rest of it was just like that offensive line was putrid. But I don't get why at times in the second half, back to it's getting away from you. I know Seth McGowan fumbled. But where's Seth McGowan? Why is he not carrying the ball a little more? Try running the ball to give your defense that break. Let's not throw it all the time. Let's get some runs. Let's get four or five yards, three or four yards, you know, at a time. Even if that milks off two minutes and that's all they do at least you're not throwing any incomplete pass that's stopping the clock you know you're keeping it running so that's where I kind of blame the offense a little you got to help your defense out at times and I'm not one of these oh they shouldn't be running the spread they need to go to old school grind it out SEC football because watch the SEC it's no longer old school grind it out either exactly so I mean I, I think you just look at that and that's where you go 
there were some mistakes, I think, player-wise. There were some mistakes coaching-wise. And I'm talking from the top down. But also, guys, if you're an OU fan and you didn't expect this in one game this year, you haven't watched the last, what, seven years? Especially the yeah, last five least. years. The, big, the last decade, no, at least. Right. But at least the last five years. Look at the Big 12 title years. Five straight, right? Everyone will right. take that again this year. They've had a bad loss all five years. Right. One to a double-digit favorite. That's who they lose to. They were a double-digit favorite, 28 points. What happened? And what's the stat? Since since 2009, Oklahoma has now lost, lost outright, straight up, six times when favored by 20 or more points. That is by far the most in the country. I think the next closest is three, which on one hand, hey, it's a good thing that you're up by 20 or you're favored by 20 or more points enough times for that stat to be a thing. But the Achilles heel of every OU season is they can never, it feels like, fully learn from facing a little bit of adversity in one Mm -hmm. game that they still win and then fix everything for the rest of the season. It takes one catastrophic, mind-boggling loss and I guess because of the non-conference, it was accelerated this year to game two instead of, you know, game four or exactly. five. So, yeah. Hey, Keegan Renault and I were talking yesterday from Sooner Wire, and we're sitting there talking, hey, right now, if you had to lay money on it, just because that old adage kind of like basketball with Kansas, until it happened, no one was going to bet against Kansas winning the Big 12 basketball title. Right. Until someone knocks over off Oklahoma, and I don't care, and this is where I hate Oklahoma fans, they're almost writing them all off. Until they go ahead and lose one or two more games, how are you going to bet against this team because of exactly what you just said? How many times have we seen them lose a game like this, and then for the rest of the season they come out and play like gangbusters? I will well, not and, bet against it. Yeah, and let's be honest. If you're talking just Big 12 championship, let's take the playoff out of the discussion right, right. now. You're talking just Big 12 championship. You honestly probably get two mulligans. You get If you go eight and two, Nine seasons out of 10, you are going to be playing as the number two team. Sorry, OU, you're going to have to wear your road uniforms in the Big 12 title game for the first time. Sorry. Right. But uh, oh, maybe I think they're the road team against Texas. But, you know, neither here nor there. But it's just this is and to kind of circle back to putting the game on Rattler's arm. This is what frustrates me with the narrative around Lincoln Riley can only do it with transfer quarterbacks and we're going to probably see this narrative even if OU starts winning even if they beat Texas stuff like that and right the ship because what Oklahoma fans haven't seen out of a Lincoln Riley quarterback is a year one a true year Mm -hmm. one because if you look back Baker Mayfield at Texas Tech he was benched that year he had problems with interceptions it was the same thing you saw to Spencer Rattler he was the second he got hit He lost faith in his offensive line. He started getting out of the pocket early when he didn't need to. Things like that. Kyler Murray, his first year at Texas A&M, people were clowning saying, oh my gosh, you know, Mr. High School, Texas High School football, all this stuff. Look at him here. Look at him that. Like Jalen Hurts, I think, is the only of the three quarterbacks that didn't have a, you know, pretty poor first season. And that's because he was basically just running a running back he was oh, essentially a running back his, yeah yeah or his freshman year sorry i'm at, i'm at right. his actual first season as a quarterback oh, yeah. somewhere because oh you fans yeah they've they've had the um 
luxury of Texas Tech eating Baker's first year, A&M eating Kyler's first year, and you know Alabama didn't really eat it, but you know what I mean? And, and so this is a guy that came in, and this is really, I would classify this as his first real college football game. So our Missouri State, I don't mean to be too offensive, but that's a guy that that Missouri State game was good because Spencer Rattler hadn't played meaningful snaps in a year and a half. He comes out today. This is the first time he's experienced college football at the speed that it's played at, at the level it's played at. And he was outstanding for 75 to 80% of the game, gave you every throw you wanted, looking off linebackers, dumping it, you know, lofting it just over the linebackers, but in under the safeties, right into receivers' hands, all that stuff. But then, like you said, he tried to force a ball to uh, Marvin Mims. Mm. Bad decision. I, I think that takes one of those, and probably with Lincoln Riley, and it won't happen again. He Well, he, sorry. No, oh, and no, I was going to say, think... last drive there, his feet, you know, stepping up in the pocket, delivers an inaccurate pass that gets picked off. I'm like, little things like that. Um, Lincoln will show the film of, hey, look, you left the pocket way too early here. I understand you're getting hit, but you got to stand in there. And I think that he's shown in – are we going to call it a game and a half essentially that he's good enough throwing on the run that Lincoln will start to call more and more plays where it intentionally rolls the pocket to get him out moving. Like I, I just can't think that this is the end of Spencer Rattler by any means. Cause he showed too much elite talent for you to just be depressed about that. Well, anybody that wants to say that would be an idiot right now, because look at his numbers yesterday. I know yardage is and everything, but before the what midway through the third quarter, when it all started melting down, Spencer Rattler ends up going for what over 300 yards, throws right. four touchdowns. You know, this guy was putting up numbers. Yes, again, he ends with three interceptions. Are you telling me it was at 374, right, Ryan, passing yards? Any yeah, Oklahoma yeah. fan in the country right now, you would give up a quarterback that throws for 374 yards. Guess what? Or, sorry, when you throw the ball, read. when you throw the ball as much as Oklahoma does, you're going to have a young quarterback that has that game where he throws three picks and some of them are going to be crucial. That's where you got to have that defense where it picks you up or you use the running game where you can let the kids settle down and start thinking. I, I criticize the offensive line. Think about this. There's a couple of things you can look at that game yesterday and really start delving into and thinking about, all right, this is crucial. I don't know the number right off the top of my head, but I believe it's the left side of the line has at least six holding penalties yesterday. And yeah. one of those holding penalties was the huge scramble where Spencer tucks the ball and runs it forward. If that isn't a holding on that play, I think this conversation is moot right now. And we're talking about, I don't know if OU rallies and wins, but I'm going to put my money on they've crossed the 50. They're definitely going to get in field goal range and tie that game up. And we'll see where it goes from there. You know, and so that's where that offensive line. Now, I think that's where we talked about it, Ryan, COVID. It's going to be a major factor. And I think when you look at that offensive line, not defending them. They were bad. But I think that's where you see a lot of the guys that missed the first game were some offensive linemen. How right. much have they all practiced together? And you talk to any offensive lineman, that's a unit that's got to have communication. They've got to talk right. together. And guess what? If they haven't practiced that much together lately, some of that communication's lost. Like, I don't know if you were shocked especially when you found out the guys were healthy, by the way, say hi to the cat. Um, Welcome. I, I don't know if you guys were shocked by this at all when you saw the starting lineup and they go, oh, it's going to be the same starting lineup as the Missouri State game. Well, based on the opening depth chart and what started Missouri State, 
that was a quote unquote, the way I understood it, almost a piecemeal offensive line. Right. And yet and, those guys are back and it's still the same starting offensive line. Well, and I think that what you're talking about with the offensive line being the ones that we think are missing a lot of time just off of what we saw with Missouri State. I think that's exactly why Eric Swenson got the nod at left tackle, because I think that Bill Bedenbone, Lincoln Riley said, if we roll out the same five offensive linemen that played a majority of last season, though Eric Swenson has shown that he's kind of limited, at least that's a unit that has played basically an entire season together. And I think they were almost hoping that, okay, get it rolling, which I mean, they they struggled in the run game. They struggled against Missouri State. They struggled to open up the kind of holes that you know they need to open up this year. And uh, I just think that once you saw that they realized that wasn't working, that's when Anton Harrison came in the game, and it looked a lot better. But like you said, there were a lot of mental errors, and the the huge one was that six of their ten penalties came in the fourth quarter. You can't have that when you're trying to get back into a game. Right, I fully agree with that on the left side of the line, and I get why they would do that. And, and I understand Harrison even had some mental mistakes when he was in. And But like you said, they picked up the running game. And I've said how many times on this podcast already, grind it out a little. Why aren't you, right. you know, trying to run the ball? And I believe the stat I saw in the first half, OU was averaging like two and a half yards a carry. Harrison checks into the game, and it goes up to – I think it was six yards a carry at that point in time. Right. Even if you get just four yards a carry when he's in there, do you not risk that at that point in time when you see the left side of the line is basically killing any big play you're having or any type of momentum you're getting? That's where I was like, just try it. Put the kid in. He evidently earned that job for a reason. Now he he is coming off, I guess, the whether it was the quarantine list or he was a positive case. He's coming off the list, so we don't know what, what what the reason is. So maybe his endurance isn't there. But I would have put him out there for a few more plays, especially if I'd have saw one more holding call. Yeah, I would have been going and, nuts. And and I I it's hard for me to really blame the decision to start Swenson because for the same conversation mm-hmm. about Rattler, where this is a guy pretty much playing his first real game of college football, it, it is a lot for me to ask a left tackle to say, hey. This is your first game of college football. Go against probably one of the better, more physical defensive fronts that you'll play all year long, um, especially when you know that he's going to be lined up against Hubert out there a lot of the time. Like, I get that 100%, but once you saw that this is just going to have to be a season where OU, because of opt-outs, injuries, suspensions, whatever, they are... They were already a young team coming into the season. They are an incredibly young team now. So for all the talent, all the stars, things like that, because I also I also saw it was like, oh, you has 50, you know, four and five stars. Kansas State has zero. I'm just like, yeah, but let's be honest. The ones that were making most of the plays out there are ones that are in their first year or their mm-hmm. second year. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a very young team. And I think that you're going to see this level of inconsistency because you saw in the first half on the high end when they're playing complimentary football, this team looked like a team that was inching more toward that goal of 2021 being the year people have circled to truly contend for a national title than a, a team that we're saying, how is this team going to you know, survive the Big 12 gauntlet, if we can even call it that, after what we've seen through you know basically two games at everybody? Well, I think the one thing we've seen in the first week, and this includes SEC playing going on, 
throw out Alabama because they looked impressive. They were playing a crap Missouri team, but they did what you're supposed to do to a crap team. They dominated them. I think around the country, what's going on with no preseason games or not preseason, non-con games, you know, or anything like that, you're seeing teams struggle a little. Look at the SEC. Look around the Big 12. I mean, Texas was a whole new level of lucky yesterday. I mean, right. Tech had that game won and everything. So it's going to happen everywhere. And I do think a lot of – let's look at – let's look at a lot of teams in this conference and around the country, how they perform. I mean, LSU is a young team and KJ Costello and Mike Leach destroyed them. I mean, 10 point victory, but when the quarterback throws for over 600 yards, that's a little bit of destruction because it wasn't like he threw for 600 yards trying to rally from a big deficit. That would have been a whole different story. He did this from the jump. And again, Young LSU team, tons of opt-outs. I don't expect LSU to be that good. So I think Oklahoma fans need to breathe. They need to figure everything out. And I'm telling you right now, don't bet against this team, you know, as far as next week and going into Texas. Because did you watch that Tech game with Texas? Yes, that Texas defense is a joke. Yeah. I mean, so when you look at it, it's like, all right, Katie barred the door when they get down to Dallas. Because – the advantage they're going to have, Sam Ellinger does look better this year even than he's been in the past, Right, and he's a veteran quarterback. Now, I will say what's going to even the odds up a little in that game and make it better for Spencer, excuse me, for Spencer is a simple fact it's going to be in front of, what, maybe 20,000 fans? Right. It's not going to be the all-inspiring, we're walking down the tunnel into this OU-Texas game like it normally is for a freshman starting quarterback. So that's going to be a benefit to Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler when he goes into this game. So, yeah, I think we've got to look at a lot of things and everyone just needs to breathe. I, I for one, because we, we've ripped everyone. You want me to give you a couple of positives about this game? And I'll start on the defensive side of the ball. And this is where I feel so bad. This poor kid has been maligned since he's got to Oklahoma. Buki Hadley Ryle, uh, Radley Hiles. I can't even speak right now. Anyway, Buki. This kid, how many times have you heard people, he's a five-star, he's a bomb, and I'm not right. going to say he's turned the score and he's going to go and play in the NFL. But if you watch that game and what Buki did yesterday, that was his best all-around game. It's like all of a sudden in that game, he learned how to wrap up. He learned right. to catch. And I've heard a lot of people go, yeah, but that guy caught the pass on him, you know, there late in the fourth quarter. If you go back and look at that game and that position where Buki was that on him, he was jumping in front of the guy. It was just a throw that was actually by Skylar Thompson, a perfect throw. He right. threw it to where literally, I don't care who was covering him, only his receiver was going to catch the ball. And that's what happened. And he had a couple of big hits. He was in the right spot, right places. I feel bad for Buki because he had his best game. And all people can talk about is how bad the defensive line or how bad the defense played. Other positives, and then I'll get your thoughts. I think we saw a few young freshmen. I mean, men, you know, when you look at Marvin, he's played great in his first two games. He did disappear, I felt like, in the second half. But I think you saw Theo We step up and start playing well. And maybe some of the issues they had in the passing game late was we took that big hit and you didn't see him really come back and play like he did before. Austin right. Stogner, he really started to show out and show that connection that him and Spencer have had since Elite 11. He took a big hit and kind of disappeared. So maybe we see some of the reasons the offense struggled, but I think those are some positives. Some of those young guys, we need to jump up and play well for Oklahoma. 
they started doing that yesterday. So let's look at the positives and say that. And congratulations on Buki having his best game. Yeah, and because I think it's it's this Kansas State game and last year's Texas game, and it's not even close. Those are the mm-hmm. two best performances out of Buki, and he not only was he wrapping up, there was a play late in the in the second quarter. I'm pretty sure where basically. The receiver catches the ball and only needs to fight for about a yard to get a first down. Right. Not only did Buki wrapped up, Buki was you know one of the sure-handed tacklers that was driving people back, and Kansas State Wildcats were not falling forward for two or three yards when they were coming into contact with Buki, which is wild considering everything we know is that obviously he has, other than you know the targeting in the Peach Bowl, he can read the game incredibly well. He just either can't wrap up or he's too small to do anything about it. And I thought that was just a wow moment for me in the sense. I was like, wait, Buki just drive a dude three yards back. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the smallest player on the field. I, and I thought there, there was too much positive from Spencer Rattler for me to be down on him. Like the, the tipped ball interception, that's just going to be a freshman quarterback. Who's a bit mm-hmm. smaller than your prototypical quarterback. He's just going to have to learn like, Hey, at this level, defensive lineman hands are, are, are a little bit, you know, more active at, at the line of scrimmage. You're going to have to step into the pocket, you know, and uh, create the window almost to throw that football. And I, and I believe because of what we've seen out of Lincoln Riley and how he coaches players that a lot of those just little mental mistakes, like that'll get shored up. Will it get shored up in time for Texas? Maybe not. This is where you miss the two non-conference games, mm-hmm. but there was a lot to be positive about. And, and Marvin Mims, I hate to have to bag on someone to, to, you know, promote Mims, but I was tired of seeing the out the out routes and bubble screens to uh, Charleston Rambo because Rambo, the problem is he gets behind the line of scrimmage and then he wants to dance. The one time that it went to Mims instead of Rambo, Mims said, well, shoot, there's two guys kind of crashing the blocks, not the best blocks. Let me just plant my foot and go upfield and get the three or four yards and say yeah. it's better than, you know, taking a loss. Like I think that a lot of those things will be just very apparent of that's an easy fix. And all of a sudden you go from being behind the chains to start out a drive to, okay, you got your three or four yards. It wasn't a huge explosive play, fine, whatever, but you're ahead of the chains and it sets you up to try to run the ball. If you bring back Seth McGowan. And, and I think that once Ramondre Stevenson comes back, this will be a totally different offense. Right. Well, and, and I'm like you people that bag on him and you just mentioned maybe Spentler, Spencer smaller than your average quarterback. And he's going to have to learn. You mentioned it earlier in this podcast. He's the first-year starting quarterback at this level. Exactly. I mean, everyone will go, Kyler was small. Baker was small. Yeah, you're right. But for what you said earlier, they learned that before getting to Oklahoma. Hey, I'm undersized. This is what I'm going to have to do. Spencer is learning it right now on the job at Oklahoma. Doesn't mean he's bad. Doesn't mean he's not going to learn this. And guess what? From what you've seen out of Spencer Rattler and what you've heard people talk about or what you've heard people talk about him, he will learn it, and he may know it by next week going, hey, you know what? First time against Big 12 opponents, this is what I can't do. I need to do things this way. Because you want to criticism from me on him, and it's going to sound funny because what I always rip Jalen Hurts for is tucking the ball and running and not reading. Right. Spencer did a good job, I thought, of reading the receivers, but you could tell he was used to being in high school and being in a, on an elite team where I can stand in the pocket if I want for five minutes. My line's got me covered. Right. Instead of reading through them once, I thought you saw times where, okay, I could have tucked the ball and run it for three, four yards. 
he tried to read through it a second and a third time. It's like, hey, now, <laughs> line's not ready for that. If you right. see an opening, get what you can. That that was actually, it's not a bad criticism, but that's just back to learning. I don't have all day like I did in high school. I've got to tuck it and get three, four yards as opposed to staying back here and forcing a bad throw or maybe getting sacked. Right. And I think another thing that we'll kind of see is, I believe it was was 2016 where OU dropped two of the first three. And what you saw out of Baker Mayfield, I think was in those games, he held the ball a little too long looking for a home run ball. And we heard the narrative was Lincoln basically said, hey, he went to Baker and said, you just got to take what the defense gives you. This Kansas Mm -hmm. State team. They were missing, I, I think they said, five players on the broadcast from their two deep in their secondary. So to to make up for that, a lot of time in the first three quarters, they just dropped eight guys and said, we're just going to try and do max protect. And I thought that Spencer Rattler did a great job for a majority of the game of just taking what the defense gave him. So for me, right. that's a big positive now when you know Kansas State turned up the heat a little bit and started to get some hands on him early in his you know mental clock, that's when he started to, like you said, pat the ball, not just take the three- or four-yard rush and get out and look for that big play. So that's one of those things that, again, you spend enough time in the film room with Lincoln Riley. The only thing we know is that you're going to improve. The question will be, can they improve enough by next Saturday where you're going to go to Iowa State, who is famous for basically saying, we're going to rush three or four, drop back into some umbrella coverage and say, look, you're going to have to dink and dunk us 12 straight plays to score. And if you can do that, you're going to have success. So I think that we could we could learn a ton next week because it's going to be a similar defensive game plan from the Cyclones. And you'll immediately be able to say, here's what you struggled with last week. This is what costs in the game. It's going to be night and day of just, hey one game over you will immediately know where the improvements are coming no doubt and hey you want the positive maybe next week some of these linemen that didn't play as much like harrison and stuff they gelled a little more and worked out with this first unit a little more and you go with them making it just better in general for spencer and there's a reason why they were listed as first team on the 2d to start the year before the COVID took some guys out but hey We'll, we'll get into that in the podcast in the middle of the week when we start breaking it down. Because guess what? Right. We don't even know what the COVID tests are. I do think, if you want me to be honest with you, I think Kansas State knew they had a young team. And I'm not saying they lied about numbers. They didn't do that because we know what happened in their secondary. But I'm wondering how much hey, they know young teams read the press clippings no matter what they say. You know, let's make our COVID cases sound maybe even a little worse than they are. You know, right. we're depleted almost across the board because, Craig, for a team that was on Wednesday by everyone you heard talk and going into Friday, we'll have to wait and see what happens here. I don't know what's going to – this doesn't look good. I mean, two different Kansas State guys, one said 25% chance. One said he saw almost no way this game could happen. So the media perception from the coaches was getting out there. Young guys read press clippings. How much, did, again, back to when they punched him in the face in the first half, they thought, oh, this team's depleted. They're done. Right. They didn't really look over on the sidelines and go, they're not quite as depleted as they said. They, they've yeah. got the horses on offense to kind of come back and do some things. I, I thought it was pretty smart playing gamesmanship how Kansas State handled this past week. Well, and I think that even just on a more broad level, 
I really have to feel like this is a young team. We have questions about the leadership at a few different positions just because the team is so young. You then take away your normal spring ball and normal fall camp where, where that would normally you know develop and you see the guys take that next step. You wonder mm-hmm. if with all the stuff surrounding both of OU's games being you know this close to being canceled, I wonder if this is a good punch in the mouth to say, hey guys, game week is game week and we can't be just sitting over here thinking about COVID numbers and stuff. Whoever's going to play is going to play and we need to prepare and come out ready to play for four quarters. And that just kind of harkens back to for the last like decade. It takes so much adversity that OU literally loses a game for them to, you know, really learn their lesson and take the season seriously. And maybe, you know, COVID just expedited that a little bit because you have even more distractions than you would normally have coming into a, a quote cupcake game. No doubt. And I guess you mentioned in leaders, that's where it goes back to my Buki comment. I don't think there is a leader on the defense. I think Pat Fields has stepped up and he's a guy that can be that. The play he made, even though they ended up scoring out Vaughn's play, chasing him down, making the tackle. He's a veteran. I think he's a guy that could be a leader. I just don't know if he has that personality. Trey Brown has made big plays throughout his career in critical time, but he has also bust. I don't know if he's the leader of the team. But I think a guy that's got the personality to potentially be a leader on this defense is Buki. But I think one thing that's always hurt him, how can you be a leader when you make so many mistakes or you don't follow through on what you're trying to preach? That could be one thing that ends up helping this defense in the long run. If Buki now takes that Kansas State game the way he played there and comes and plays that way against Iowa State, he starts stringing a couple of games together if they're looking for someone that's replaced as a leader like Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore on that defense, maybe Buki could start filling that role. But before he can, he's got to actually start playing like a leader. Right. Well, hell, I'd I'd play him at corner over Trey Brown right now. I definitely play him over Brian Mead. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's just something that's interesting is I don't think this is and maybe this is not for a post game pod or whatever, but it just struck out to me that when I was rewatching the game. There were two different Kansas State players that were granted their sixth year of eligibility on defense because of a injury. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, hell, if these guys aren't going to the league, everyone gets another year anyway. They're going to have spent seven years in college football. And that kind of led me to believe like Buki's never going to be a guy that can leave early because of his size. It doesn't matter how right. well he plays. Like five years of Buki isn't necessarily going to be a bad thing if he can if he can move forward and uh and take this game and build on it. Cause we've seen like at Texas last year, despite his size, he was incredible at, at mm-hmm. stuffing out all the screens, all the pre-mat uh, pre-snap motion. And he essentially set the edge on those plays, even at his sides um, and bl- blew those up in the backfield. So if you can take that positive and roll it through that extra year of Buki for it, it's crazy that, you know, at the end of last year, everyone's rolling their eyes in the peach bowl going, you got to find somebody else at the nickelback. If he can put that together and he's going to have to prove it to us for right. a whole season, but if he can do that, you're looking around, you could have a leader of the defense coming back for another few years. So exactly. And to us, that's a whole season for his teammates. Maybe it's this game, Iowa state and Texas. And then maybe Oklahoma has got a defense that the team at least believes in. And I think that's right. what they're missing this year. Ryan, you mentioned the extra year of eligibility. You know, it was a disgusting thought yesterday. Because no one likes the guy. He's irritating. Sam Ellinger, 
He could be back <laughs> another year. And it was kind of funny. I knew that along, and I heard some people talking down on campus, going like, oh, at least he's gone. He's a senior. And I looked at him and said, oh, hold the phone. I mean, I think he'll probably go to the NFL or try it regardless. Right. So they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, everyone on a roster gets another year. That guy could be back for one more season. You should have saw the guys like, uh, they're not scared of him, but it's just like, I can't stand the guy. I want him gone. Well, at least this year it would warrant a we're back video because you'd have to say, okay, look, I'm I'm opting into that extra year as opposed to last year where everyone's going, where the hell were you going, Sam? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to bag on him. Too. Like, he's looked good through two games, and it, and it's not his fault that, you know, he scored, what, 63 points or whatever, and he still had to eke it out. But uh, not to bag on him too hard, but he just he's got a punchable face. Oh, yes. Very punchable. He's one, not that I ever want anyone to get hurt, but if he ever gets hurt, I'm not going to cry a tear for it. Well, he got hurt, and then Tom Herman said two plays later, get back on in there, buddy. Well, no, I mean, like, really hurt. It would have been the same if Tebow got hurt. Gotcha. You're just like, If Tebow got T-boned on a football field, it wouldn't break my heart. Darn. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. One day at a time. All right, Randy, uh, we've kind of wandered off the path here. Yeah, you have any, any final thoughts on this game before we wrap it up and uh, move on to Iowa State in the, in the midweek pod? Hey, it's COVID year. We know it's going to happen. And guess what? COVID year, I thought maybe this would be the year OU could break the undefeated streak. Not because I think the team's necessarily going to be that great to be an undefeated team. But no, what it proves is even with a pandemic and a virus, Oklahoma is still Oklahoma, and they're going to find a way to lose a game they shouldn't lose. And, and that's that's what happened. It's their second game of the year. Give them time. Let's see how they play next week against Iowa State. For sure, for sure. And that game will be under the lights. Of course, it's a road game, so it's not an 11 a.m. kick. 6.30 on, AB, yeah, on ABC. Uh, the whole world will know exactly what improvements Oklahoma makes over the next week. But like we said We've got all that coming for you this Wednesday. So stay tuned to the Heisman Park Rangers for Randy Heights. I am Ryan Chapman. It's okay, everyone. We woke up and the sun rose again, and it probably will do the same thing tomorrow. We'll see you.